Greetings, 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 greetings. Welcome once again. I'm Georgia Matthews II. And uh, to just to reiterate and um, give you a little bit more about myself, welcome, by the way, to our program, The Silence of Our Friends. The Silence of Our Friends. I I'm a local pastor uh, in the city of Birmingham, Alabama, as well as Bessemer, Alabama, and happy to be such. Um, I've always been concerned that part of my assignment, part of my calling, part of what I feel and felt and have felt that I was commissioned to do by the Most High God, in my view, uh, was to awaken, um, steer, touch, affect the consciousness of people of color. Um, that is not to say that I don't have an affirm appreciation for people not of color. I believe the Bible, um, not to be preaching in this um, particular forum, is designed so that we can address social concerns, um, particularly for the demographic of people with at least five layers, uh, three to five layers of melanin uh, in their skin. And so um, that's right. I don't believe that any race, any ethnicity is supposed to be inferior to another. But just as that is true, I do not believe that any race or ethnicity or ethnos should be superior to another. Um, the scripture is clear, and again, not to be preaching, but, but by one blood, God made all nations and all men. And it's amazing that with all the racism that our world has been plagued with um, forever and a day, that it is still the simple truth that all other factors being equal, uh, all blood, regardless of an individual's ethnicity, can be transfused. Isn't that amazing? That regardless of whether you're white or black or of Asian descent or of Native American descent or any other descent, as long as you're human and all other factors agree, blood can be transfused. It's amazing that the same thing that separates us uh, is the same thing that we can each use, every ethnicity can use to live. So I want to say welcome to our show. This is episode number two. Um, and we are making this episode available on YouTube. I would really love it. And you can help the channel to grow. This is very separate from our ministry pages and from all the other things we're doing as far as the church, the body of Christ is concerned. This is our, our social arm, our, a social antenna uh, by which we can touch the community and hopefully uh, cause other people to have a consciousness that heretofore they have not been able to expand their minds, whether by exposure or the lack thereof, to understand certain dynamics. And so you can help the channel to grow. Please subscribe. Please share. Please hit the notification bell. That way you'll be notified each time we are dropping an episode. And we do this every Monday evening. And the goal is at 6.30 on Monday evenings, a new episode will ensue. Uh, so hello to our churches. We appreciate and love you all so much. And then we love our global family as well. Um, allow me, if you will, to just recap a few um, particulars uh, from last week's show. 
and then I will give you the topic of this week's show. And it's very interesting. I like to have a topic because it kind of forces me uh, to stay in a certain framework. Um, again, we are, have dubbed this program The Silence of Our Friends uh, as a compliment or as a response to uh, one of uh, the quotes, one of the statements made famous by uh, Dr. M.L. King. And he said, in the end, in the end, what will be remembered will not be the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends, the silence of our friends. And so uh, I f felt led and compelled to capitalize on that um, statement because too often people are silent when they need to be um, aggressively vocal, aggressively vocal. Um, I'm a churchman, okay? I was raised a third, third, maybe fourth generation uh, minister doing something I said I would never do. I, my aspiration was to become an attorney and uh, I'm happy with my life and happy with my assignment. Uh, but in the church, uh, whether succinctly, whether intentionally, whether deliberately, uh, whether it was verbal or whether it was suggested, whether by a quiet, um, maybe ideology, it was somehow implied, or at least I got it, that regarding social issues, the church should not be vocal. We should just get in our corner and do church and not necessarily affect the world. I said last week that one of the things that the uh, then president uh, or CEO, chairman perhaps, of uh, Home Depot wrote in his book uh, that had to do with the seven spheres of influence. And the seven spheres of influence are religion, family, education, government, media, arts, and business. And it, it seemed to me that in my experience at least, the church was relegated to just that mountain of religion. Uh, and everything else should be left to the world. But I don't find it to be necessarily the, 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 the truth as far as our Lord Jesus is concerned. He said that you are the salt of the earth. And that is uh, St. Matthew chapter 5. You're the salt of the earth. And he says if the salt has lost its savor or its ability to be salty or its ability to influence the flavor of the food, it is henceforth good for nothing, nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. And so I believe that the church, people who are called out as followers of God, um, people who are testimonial as far as their life being changed by an influence of God, I believe that those are the kinds of people uh, with a right mindset, if you will, uh, that should be vocal and should be weighing in. And it's dangerous, I think, um, of epic proportions to be silent when you should be vocal. I want to say that another way, to be in the church or to be in any of these mountains of influence and you're silent as it relates to wrong. Um, I'll set that aside for a moment. We learned some things last week and covered some pieces that I think uh, will be interesting. The purpose of our show, of course, is to cover 
the the plight of Africans uh, still waiting to become Americans, in my view, in these yet to be United States. Um, I think that there have been some heinous wrongs that have occurred, and history will bear me out uh, that people not of color uh, came to a, a continent called North America, and they said they discovered in 1492 or whatever you have. And um, the truth is that the continent was inhabited already by Native Americans. And based on my research, um, the Native Americans in inhabited this particular continent called North America, a very small continent, relatively speaking, but they inhabited it back all the way to 15... Thousand BC, fifteen thousand years before Christ. Think of that, fifteen thousand years. But yet, in fourteen ninety-two, it is claimed that uh, the continent was discovered by Chris, Christopher Columbus. Uh, I'm still a bit angry at uh, the teachers of American history for me who during my experience, I was um, in on integration. My mother was an educator, dynamic one in my view. And to her, I owe the credit for my educational, at least the beginnings of it, <clears throat> pursuits. And um, as a young person coming into um, kindergarten, um, I, was, I was brought into a school system that had formerly been all white. And so coming into that, there were a very uh, limited number of people of color who looked like me, but it was an amazing time. This was the mid-60s, and of course, the, directly after, probably for me, I was in the first grade, uh, excuse me, kindergarten, first grade, and that had to be about 1967, 68. And uh, so this is just post the Civil Rights Movement. Um, this is just uh, right in that era when Dr. King was assassinated. And so that was my experience. And so coming in, and even I can remember, uh, in the seventh grade, I attended a seventh grade center. Um, before moving to Alabama, I was a native Floridian. And uh, we had sixth grade centers. You had kindergarten, then first through fifth. Then the, you had sixth grade centers, then seventh grade centers. And then you went to uh, junior high school, and that was comprised of eighth and ninth grade. And then senior high was 10th, 11th, and 12th. And at that time, uh, Jacksonville being one of the largest cities in America, Jacksonville had um, 12 or 13 high schools with each having over 3,000 students. It's a very large city. And I can remember being bused from my neighborhood to a seventh grade center in a, in a predominantly, uh, well, I would say 99.9% .9 white culture. And there were riots and there were fights and there were weapons. And I, uh, when I get to know you better, I'll tell you more of my personal stories and personal encounters. But it was from that kind of uh, scenario that my experience was born. And what I've come to understand is that in America, there have been some heinous wrongs because uh, while I was being taught that Christopher Columbus discovered America, 
I later in my college experience came to understand that America was already inhabited by the Native Americans. And not only, not only that, America went further uh, than stealing a continent. They went to another continent called Africa and stole some people and made them slaves and brought them to this new continent to work it and to build it. And the heinous wrong associated with that carries on to this day. And unfortunately, no one wants to be vocal about pointing the blame where the blame belongs. And hence we have the silence of our friends. Uh, there are some things um, we learned last week. Um, Dr. King, another statement he makes is that nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. This program is set up to deal with both levels because on the one hand, you have some people who are just sincerely ignorant. They don't have the experience. They don't have the background. They haven't been exposed. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have people who are learned, people who have had those experiences, people who have had um, the cultural uh, opportunities, but yet they're just stupid. Stupid is what stupid does, stupid responses, uh, uh, calloused, uh, insensitive responses, and you know better. So you have two classes of people. You have the sincerely ignorant people who don't mean any harm, but they're still ignorant and they're still uh, in a chasm, still in a chasm better, and still in a situation. Then you have other people who are conscientiously, they think through the process, they're educated uh, to know the process, but yet they remain in a stupid disposition. Uh, we've said last week, and I want to deal with this, the, the topic last week was Mr. George Floyd, the church, and black people in America. Uh, we answered the question, why is it that people of color are so irate? Uh, people not of color ask this question. Why are they, why are they so irate? Why are they so angry? And I, I, had, to, uh, I had the benefit of being uh, in a... Uh, uh, setting, I should better say, I'm choosing my words carefully, uh, in a setting that was intended to bring together uh, ecumenical, uh, various ecumenical pastors, uh, both black and white, to talk about race relations in America, and in particularly our city of one of our churches, Bessemer, Alabama. And I was the last speaker, the last person to um, to speak, and, and I said to the brethren, I said, uh, white brothers, we love you. We appreciate you so much. But uh, at one point in time, I, I had what was called a kidney stone. I had no knowledge of what kidney stones were. Uh, but uh, my lower GI one day uh, had a serious, serious uh, pain that took me to other levels where I could not rest at night. This was experience uh, extended itself about 24 uh, to 36 hours, day and a half, maybe two days at the most. This was about 25, 26, 27 years ago, somewhere along in there. And make a long story short, it's, still, uh, it's on last week's program in detail. I went to my then physician the next day and he did an x-ray and he said, young man, I believe what you had was a kidney stone and your system passed. He said, because I can see the, the track uh, in your intestines. I can see it in your lower GI. And I said, man, I have never, 
even imagine pain to this degree. He said, well, in our community, we say to males, this is second to the birthing pains that women feel when giving birth. I said, women are beasts, if that's the case. I said, man, a man is never going to be any stronger than a woman. And then a few weeks ago, I was uh, having a conversation with my now uh, internist, and I shared this story with him. He agreed. He said, yes, uh, as best we can tell, uh, for males, this is second to the pain of child birthing. And then he said this, um, I, and, and I said this to the, the white ministers with whom I was associated for this ecumenical, ecumenical conversation. I said, um, this uh, irateness that you speak of, this anger and hostility that you speak of, I don't, while I don't advocate looting, I do advocate uh, 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 demonstrations, uh, I do advocate revolution. Uh, and um, um, peaceful resistance. Um, but I said, it's like walking into a doctor's office and he asks you on a scale of one to 10, rate your pain. Because the doctor needs some feel of what, what you're feeling. And unable to be in your personal experience, he needs you to tell him what you're feeling. I said, these people that we see are people in the over 70 cities across the world that are being affected by um, demonstrations. This is people saying this is a 10 in our pain. This is the tipping point. Anytime you see a man for nearly nine minutes who knows people are filming him and he places his neck his knee on a man's neck with his hands in his pocket. The man says he can't breathe. He calls for his mother, whom I believe was seeing his mother as his life was slipping away, dies on the city street of Minneapolis with four police officers there. And the world has, an has had an opportunity to view that, this kind of maliciousness that has been going on for centuries. For centuries, we and I said to them, I said, brothers, if you haven't had a kidney stone, don't try to explain or speak to or any any way address that experience. The best you can do, sirs, is listen to someone who has had the experience or those encounters. I said, if you have not lived while black in America, and I don't know uh, how my lighter pigmentation brothers and sisters. Um, um, have, have their experience have, has been. I do have sons and we have talked about it and they are lighter, much lighter to me as far as their pigmentation. And they have had similar experiences to mine, driving while black, shopping while black, attempting to be educated while black, uh, doing no harm to anyone else while black, but yet being accosted, being followed while black, uh, profiled while black, uh, so forth and so on. The list goes on. And we said that people have not been able to come to a conclusion in the church about racism because the church has largely been religious instead of spiritual. That's on last, last episode's show. We close with two words taken from St. Matthew chapter 6. And I said last week that if people could have read properly uh, without blinders, these two words would have never allowed slavery in the first place to have occurred. And there in St. Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus replies, that's right, Jesus replies to 
um, his disciples this request in terms of their seeking prayer to understand the model and the module of prayer. And they said, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist, your first cousin, taught his disciples, his followers to pray. And then Jesus responded by saying, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Two words, our Father. He prayed and taught his disciples to pray that God is the collective father of all races and all ethnicities. And we have to be vocal and we have to address those particular concerns. So our show tonight um, is dubbed Throwing Rocks, Throwing Rocks and Hiding Their Hands. Throwing Rocks and Hiding Their Hands. Hands. When I moved here to Alabama, I heard a statement by a friend of mine who is with Jesus now, and his name was Pastor Gary K. Witt Sr. And he said to me, he said, George, only a hit dog will holler. I said, excuse me, I'm a city boy. That was a country expression. I had no relevance and understanding of it, had never heard it before. And I asked him to repeat it again. He said, George, only a hit dog will holler. And I came to understand that if you throw, he explained it to me, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, only the dog that is hit will make a noise or an expression. And I'm saying tonight that black people in America are hit dogs, metaphorically speaking, and now we're hollering. And it is amazing to me that people of other ethnicities, uh, 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 the, from the protests I've seen and what I've been able to read, it shows that about 60% of most of the people protesting are people not of color because they have witnessed the dogs who've been hit, metaphorically, black people, people of color, who've been hit for hundreds of years, for 400 years. And now we've been whimpering. But now black people are hollering and it's time to holler. When you have seen in five years, we talked about in last week's show, five years, the number of nearly 1,500, 12, 1,500 people who have been killed in police custody or in conflict with law enforcement community. It's time to holler. And so um, the, uh, it's amazing to me. We've been hit with all forms of racism and bigotry, and it's time for people to address it intelligently. I think everyone should be vocal. We do not have the same vocal ability, nor do we all have the same platform. We do not have the same influence and the same opportunities, but everyone can use the platform they have to deal with truth, not just biblical truth and not simply subjective truth, but objective truth, the truth about all matters within itself. And so, um, if we, if you will, tonight, I, I, I kind of had my thoughts upset by uh, some events that have taken place over this weekend, and I won't deal with some of the hangings, or at least one hanging, but I'm understanding there are probably two that have occurred in our country, but I do want to lift up the name Rayshard Brooks. Rayshard Brooks, and I asked the question. He was murdered with two shots, two rounds. Uh, I use the word murdered in his back because he was running away. And all law enforcement anywhere is trained that when an assailant is running away, uh, the use of deadly force, to make it short, 
the use of its deadly force is not necessary. This, and then the officer can be heard on his body cam saying, quote, end quote, got him. 27-year-old who was falling asleep behind the wheel in the drive-thru and it, at a Wendy's restaurant drive-thru in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, yes, he's wrong for falling asleep. Yes, he did not pass the breathalyzer test. That's wrong. Uh, but you shouldn't lose your life because you were drunk or because you fell asleep or passed out from drinking. You should not, you should, should be able to still go home. Uh, I've seen this happen. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that um, our, our television networks have been very sensitive because they've canceled uh, some of the live uh, law enforcement show, namely cops, and there's another one that is uh, a live uh, show um, because it it grates on the nerve of this country and the consciousness of what has been happening for centuries. And so, uh, I I ask myself the question: uh, What was Ray Shard thinking? And here's my supposition, my belief: I believe Ray Shard after. Uh, wrestling with the two white officers and then securing the taser from one of them, gets up and runs. He doesn't stay there to try to engage in a fight. Uh, one report says he said his sister was not far from there. I've seen other ethnicities dealt with in case of drunkenness. They simply took the keys from them, secured the vehicle, and allowed them to place a call to have someone else come and pick them up or let them walk home and secure the vehicle later. But not this case. No, no. Because the man of color now has to run for his life. I believe Ray Shard was thinking what I would have been thinking. And I'm a pastor. I love Jesus. I love God. But it, 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 with that said, I also know and have experienced how some other people uh, in their cognition and their mental thinking process black people, particularly black males. I would have been thinking we have just witnessed what happened with Mr. George Floyd. I'm trying to get away from these guys. I'll deal with the penalties later. But if these two guys get me to be secured in their vehicle, I might not make it home. The man ran like a scared rabbit. I know there might have been a better way to handle it. But I've seen law enforcement deal with people who have mishandled other situations who were not of color. And they were ger very germane, very sensitive, very delicate with them. But only a man of color who is running, who, who is no threat when he is running. I believe he shot back, uh, turned the taser on them, the pins. One report said both pins had already been exhausted. There's nothing that the stun gun could do. They had already shot him in him, one report says. And I think he's trying to just defend himself to live. What was Rayshard thinking? And again, if you haven't had this kidney stone, you can't relate to this experience. Um, then... You know, um, the, 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 the mayor uh, of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, fires the, the officer that has 
issued the fatal shots. And then the police captain steps down. Now, again, this is hypothetical on my part, but it seems to me that if the chief is forced to step down uh, or steps down, there is some disagreement behind the scene because in normal situations, the chief would have nothing to do with the penalty that would come to the officer who has violated the law, in my view. So apparently there is some contention there. But hats off, hats off to, to at least one mayor who is bold enough uh, to take a stand to clean up their department because these kinds of things have been going on far too long. I want to talk a little bit about um, some myths. Uh, when I talk about throwing rocks and hiding your hand, here's where I'm going tonight with the time I have left. Uh, let's see how I can how can I say this and not be not seem to be indicating particular persons or particular um, groups. It is uh, one of the most uh, dubious crimes I think in America has been the game that is played on people of color uh, by their white counterparts. And I think understanding is the best thing that can happen uh, between ethnicities, between racial groups. Uh, and part of that understanding comes when you have to deal with truth. Um, and I've seen, I've seen uh, like large seeker-friendly churches, for example, mostly white. And I spoke to this a bit last week. Uh, someone said to me years ago, Pastor Matthews, uh, it is evident that Jesus is returning soon. I said, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, the, Jesus has to be returning soon because of the, the, the grace and the peace that is happening between the races as evidenced in the church. And I said, speak further. And they said, well, you see these large white churches and black people are now coming in and, 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 and meshing into the congregation. Uh, it's racial purity. And I said, well, I don't believe that to be true. I said, not, I said black people have always migrated to white people thinking that white people somehow have something better to offer than their black counterparts because that's what we were taught uh, in slavery. It's been passed down. One of these shows, episodes, I'm going to deal with um, the Willie Lynch letters. I'm going to deal with that. And I'm going to deal with some of the aspects of, of, of his um, uh, proposal uh, for slavery to um, be extended for three to four hundred years past the 1700s. And do your math. And so here we are. Um, Excuse me, I dropped my notes. But the thing about it, the thing about it is, I said to that person, I said, when black people are invited to the table to make decisions with white people in white churches, I said, more than singing and book dancing, and they were offended. I said, we've always entertained white people all the way back to slavery. That's nothing new. They've always been impressed with our entertainment ability and athletic acumen, but rarely our brain power. I said, when you see black people migrating to white churches and white churches 
allow black people to sit on boards of directors and um, make decisions and have influence and share the influence in the decision-making just the same as their white counterparts I said then I'll believe that Jesus is coming soon based on that uh, particular mindset uh, and with that said let allow me to just throw some things out because this is just an opportunity um, to make clear some things by way of exposure that people don't know uh, one of the historians um, at one of our churches who shared some information with me and it was mind jolting and I wish to thank her for it she said um, history in America was recorded by the wealthy by the rich not by the poor and it stands to reason and this is why history has been whitewashed uh, this is the reason that I was trained or at least it was insinuated that when it came to Western movies and you saw um, the white cowboy in his regalia uh, fighting the Native American Indian you, it was kind of implied that you know if you're going to to have the right thought that you had to um, go in the direction of, uh, of the cowboy and the reality was the cow the the Amer the Native American Indian was only fighting to keep what was his the cowboy was stealing it but with history being whitewashed we weren't told that that we weren't told that no we weren't told that at all we were told the direct opposite and we when, when the keepers of history are people that are not a part of that particular demographics history then they can spin it any way they want any way they want um, and so in that re respect uh, I've also discovered that people of color have made contributions in America and one of the things that Americans have not been uh, made aware of in that sense is that black people in America are not uh, non-contributors to the, the, the culture. Um, I do, I have an opportunity to try to influence people wherever I can and here's a list of just some things that, have, that were invented by people of color. Now sometimes the patents weren't given to them because they were people of color and white people who had the money uh, stole the concepts and the ideas and patented, patented them how do you like those apples? You, I, I'm talking about throwing rocks and hiding your hand. I'm working to a point here. Just stay with me. Air conditioning unit. Frederick W. Jones, man of color. Um, auto gear shift. Richard B. Spikes, man of color. Bicycle frame. I.R. Johnson, a man of color. Cable TV. Uh, booking device. Uh, Joseph N. Jackson. Uh, fiber optic, optic cable was a part of that. Black man. Uh, cellular car phone. Henry T. Sampson. Black man. Uh, nobody talks about this in school because it's been whitewashed. Clothes dryer. G.T. Sampson. All these people are people of color. Doorknob. Old Dorsey. Egg beater. Willie Johnson. Elevator. Alexander Miles. Electric lamp bulb. Louis Latimer. Um, let's go here. Fire extinguisher, T.J. Marshall. Gas mask, Garnet Morgan. Golf tee, T. Grant. 
uh, guitar, Robert Fleming Jr. Hairbrush, Lydia D. Newman. Lawnmower, J.A. Burr. Ironing board, Sarah Boone. Gosh, peanut butter, George Washington Carver. You knew that one. Lawn sprinkler, J.W. Smith. Locke, W.A. Martin. Uh, amazing. Mailbox, Paul B. Crowning. The list goes on. Street sweeper, traffic light, TV remote control, typewriter, VCR timer, telephone transmitter, stove, street sweeper. It goes on and on and on. People of color who've made contribution in America, but we've been lied to about our potential, people of color, and about the effects of people of of color's influence in America. We've been sold a great lie, a great hypocrisy. Now let me let me delve further into why I called this program throwing rocks and hiding their hands. One thing that has appeared to me of late, and I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for this, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, the people that love me are praying for me. I'm sure of that. With our current administration, and I'm going to say some things in the next few minutes. With our current administration, um, the administration, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in the District of Columbia, um, we, we have obvious, an obvious separationist, and I'm trying to be re as respectful as I can, uh, not of the person, but of the position. A separatist, people who, a person who divides by way of races and divides by way of the, the genders and by way of biases and prejudices, um, a bigot who condones disparities instead of bridging the gap of disparities. In that kind of context, in that kind of environment, we have an election that is coming up uh, the first Tuesday in America, the first Tuesday in November. Now we had an election four years ago and the question becomes, in relationship to our show's topic, throwing rocks and hiding your hands, hit dogs holler as the topic. How did you vote? How will you vote? I'm going to let you hold on to that for a minute. How did you vote? How will you vote? In the context of obvious separatist views, when you have a cabinet and only one person of color can be found, and that one person of color uh, is a noted... Uh, neurosurgeon uh, uh, has a book, two books written. I read them years ago. Uh, Gifted Hands, Ben Carson. And you're the head, you're the one token, excuse me, person of color. And you're the head of housing? What about the position that is prescribed with your training? But you're the only token black there, and you have not been able to find skilled people of color to represent this melting pot called America. And here we are, here we are, with people who are ready, willing, and able-bodied voters, 
who have the who have the the prowess to go back and re-elect this same person who is stoking the coals, who who has in three and a half years who has brought this country to, I mean, there were things that have been happening all the while, but they were behind the curtain. And, and now when you brought behind the curtain to the White House, the curtain has been pulled back and all the people who have been uh, in their mindset a little uh, hesitant and reticent about bringing things out that they think, now they, they've been given a broad audience because of what the president of these United, yet to be United States, has been espousing. And so when you have people like here where I live, where I reside, you have people, good, good intentioned white people. And I thank God for white people and all other uh, ethnicities as well as my own. And I hold no ethnicity over my own and I don't hold my own over any ethnicity. Let, let's be clear. But since I am a person of color and I am called to deal with the truth, the reality is you have people of color, that, uh, people that are not of color from, from uh, other acuments and people that come in from other church groups into uh, the, the, the neighborhoods uh, of poverty, schools of poverty. Um, they like to swarm in and do good deeds painting schools uh, in underprivileged and underserved communities, uh, planting flower beds, tutoring. Um, they love, and these are good deeds, great deeds. But the question is, how are you going to vote? Because if you're coming in and doing great deeds, but you're voting for the person and for the administration that is the cause of the plight, and that is the cause of uh, uh, communities that are poverty-ridden and poverty-stricken. And you're only doing it because of a racial issue. Then you are throwing rocks at the. You're throwing rocks and hiding your hand. You're throwing rocks when you go to the poll and vote for an administration that, in an obvious way, disrespects women, disrespects people that not of the majority race's color, disrespects uh, by uh, disrespects people who are different, uh, disrespects different viewpoints, and even e white evangelicals who are my peers, and sometimes people whom I have respected. But they're going to the poll and voting, and they're very vocal to uphold wrong. You're throwing rocks and hiding your hand. You, you're hiding your hand by doing good deeds, but you're throwing the rock by justifying the cause that is the, the reflection. You, you see, in everything, you have cause and effect. If you have the wrong person in the White House, the effects will tear down to the communities that are affected by the, these biased and bigoted ideals. Throwing rocks, hiding your hands. I wonder if there are people who are listening to me tonight who have experienced this, that people will come around you and give the play acting. And some people need uh, real, real awards. There are Oscars that need to be doled out in the political arena as well as in church because these same people who will do good deeds will go back and re-elect a, a, a cause 
uh, the cause, the root cause of the continuance of separatism and racism in America. How are you going to vote? I think it's a legitimate question to ask people, how are you voting? You don't tell me you're different. Don't tell me you've changed. Don't tell me that you had some kind of encounter with God. How are you going to vote? Because the ballot box makes the difference. If you are really uh, of a concern of people that look like me, vote for people. They don't have to look like me, but allow their agendas to represent people that look like me and not people. And see, it's amazing. When you delve into history and dig into history, only about 6% of the plantations uh, in the South over which the Civil War was fought, only 6% of white males owned plantations plantations. The 92% of that particular demographic of white males, they were just as poor. Some of them were just as poor as the slaves themselves. But the, the selling point was because you're white, you should take the position of the Confederacy and fight to keep slavery empowered in the South. They were throwing rocks and hiding their hands then. And then it's a great hypocrisy. The Latin phrase, e pluribus unum. Uh, and it simply means, it's, uh, it's a Latin phrase that means out of many, one. And I'm still looking for the oneness. It's the motto, the motto of the Americas, the motto. I've got to try to wrap this up. I'm, I'm going to leave some of these issues uh, open and I'll touch them again next week. Um, here we are. Um, how did you and how will you vote to all of my conscious white friends? Um, listen, there are pieces that, that we need to deal with. And so I'll, I'll bring this to a close by saying this, two pieces, two pieces I'll say. Yes, I'm just trying to look for placement in my mind now. There is a German Lutheran pastor. Um, his name was, I'll find it in a minute. Martin Neomuller, uh, N-I-E-N-E-M-O-M-O-L-L-E-R, Ler. Neomuller, I think it is the pronunciation. A Lutheran German pastor, and he made us a, uh, a poem uh, in 1946. It's about the cowardice. You see, when you're silent, about obvious wrongs, it is a form of cowardice. The poem is about the cowardice of German intellectuals and certain clergy, including by his own admission himself, following the Nazis <clears throat> rise to power and subsequent incremental purging of their chosen targets, group by group. And so it deals with <clears throat> themes. See, when you're silent, you're dealing with themes of persecution right in front of your eyes and the question becomes what is your response response guilt what is your response repentance uh what is your response acceptance and responsibility what is your response here's the poem <clears throat> first they came for the socialists and i did not speak out because i was not a socialist then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. 
Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out. The reason that we cannot be silent is because at the rate of the killing sprees across our country and the rate of wrong, bigotry, and discrimination, and separatism, and the list goes on, Jim Crowism, and shutting up hospitals for the indigent, and uh, voter upheavals at the ballot box, and dismissing people who have filed um, uh, for their voter registrations, and uh, just unfairness and injustices. There comes a time when you got to call a spade black, no pun intended. Well, maybe a pun, both pun and no pun intended. Um, as I said, Dr. King makes another statement later in his life, and he says, uh, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. I'm going to let you hold on to that. I'm coming to a close. There comes a time when silence is actually betrayal. Uh, David, allow me to, to give another Bible reference very quickly. David, a uh, young shepherd boy, uh, a Bethlehemite, uh, excuse me, a Benjamite, and from the tribe of Benjamin, and uh, his father sends him to go and check on his brothers who were uh, much older than he, and they were engaging in this uh, standoff, this uh, cold war between the Philistines and the Israelitish army. And, or militia, and, and, and there their champion is Goliath, a nine foot, six inch, roughly tall, um, valiant warrior. Uh, uh, and, and there is David with nothing but a sling, not a slingshot, a leather, set, uh, a leather strap in his hand. And um, David has listened to, as he went to check on the affairs of his brothers, he hears Goliath swearing against God, the God of Israel. And he sees the Israelitish army in foxholes and trenches. And they've been listening to Goliath swear by their God uh, to do harm to Israel for a very extended, protracted period of time. And David asks a question in the wake of silence. He asks this question. It's very prolific. He says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I say to people who are in religious settings, is there not a cause? When, when, the, when will there be a cause that we awake from silence? I wanted to call this show uh, Woke and Staying Woke. See, there's, there's one thing. It's a colloquialism. Uh, when you say someone is woke, that means they are aware of the goings-on and the happenings around them. Uh, but then there's another dimension to stay woke and not allow people to put blinders on you to, to evidences of wrong and injustices that are right before you. Um, David, wow, I'll have to close here. Let's, let's do this. There is a um, um, cultural call for um, an economic blackout for people of color to say, because we are the nation's largest consumers, smallest demographic of one of the smaller demographics. I think the Latino um, and Hispanic community may be smaller, but they are growing. 
uh, only representing 13, 14% of the nation's population, but we're the number one consumers. And you put black people together and we consume more than most third world countries. So all together. And so one of the ways that people can hear injustice and along with pro protests and along with demonstrations, we, there must be some attention being given uh, to the economic side. As long as people protest and demonstrate and the economy is not affected, uh, they hear you. But when the economy is affected, there's an intelligent way to do this. It's, you talked about whitewashing history, whitewashing story. I read an article uh, of an interviewer who interviewed the now famous Rosa Parks, the mother of the civil rights movement. And all my life, I was taught by people who had whitewashed history that Rosa Parks did not give up her seat on the Montgomery transit system because she said her feet were hurting and she said she was tired. Well, she was tired all right, but the interviewer wrote and it was stated by Rosa Parks, my feet were not hurting. I was tired, but not tired so that I couldn't get up from my seat. I was seated in the colored, quote unquote, section and the white section ran out of room. And then the bus driver said I had to give up my seat and I made up my mind. I decided not today. And that set off the civil rights movement. She was not tired. She was vocal. It, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. There comes a time when going along is betrayal, betrayal to your own uh, call and cause. And so um, it is said that people of color and people who are sympathizers, people who understand the level of the pain, uh, are celebrating on uh, Juneteenth, the day that people of color separate, uh, celebrate the declaration of of uh, emancipation signed by then president uh, Abraham Lincoln. And so day one following of this economic withdrawal of, for people of color and people who understand the sensitivity of this cause, day one, Sunday, June 21st, uh, the, uh, celebrates the boycotting of big chain and department stores like Walmart. And I, I, I wanna ask you to do your homework of companies and, uh, and those who provide services um, and how they are supporting particular platforms politically. And I, I have a list, I'm going to release it at some, maybe next week, but let's stay with this. Day one, Sunday, June 1st, the boycott of big chain and department stores. Uh, for example, Walmart, Sam's Club, Costco's, Target, etc. Stay out of the stores. You could you can do that one day. Day two, Monday, June twenty second, boycott chain restaurants and fast food restaurants. Your McDonald's, your Popeyes, your Checkers, uh, White Castle, uh, your chain restaurants. Let's stay out. Let's make this country sensitive, not only to Mr. George Floyd's death and not only to Mr. Brooks's. Uh, murder, but also let's allow them to understand we represent economy. Day three, Tuesday, June 23rd, 
boycott online shopping. That's right, online shopping. No Amazon, no Fashion Nova, uh, no um, any online shopping, any internet purchases. Let's shut it down on that day. Day four, Wednesday, June 24th, boycott supermarkets. I'm going to take part in this. It's of those epic proportions now. Uh, supermarkets, no uh, giant sh giant stores, uh, shoppers, uh, Price Right, Aldi's, uh, whatever your local supermarkets are, the Publix, the Kroger's, stay out that day. Let them feel the weight and the brunt of our impact on this economy in this country. Day five, Thursday, June 25th, repeat days one and two. Days one and two, boycott big chain and department stores and boycott fast food and chain fast foods, restaurants, and chain restaurants. Of course, uh, day six, repeat days three and four. And days three and four, we're uh, boycotting online shopping and uh, all supermarkets. And day seven, day seven, June 27th, my birthday, no shopping at all. No shopping at all. And it's my prayer uh, I, I, I've, I've asked for people and I don't know how much they will um, pay attention to this, but this has been a tough year for many people. And I want people, um, they, our church is always so good and kind and considerate to me. And I've asked this year to just let people heal. I, I've been praying for people to receive and, uh, you know, what they need. And I know there are some people that, are, that understand the principle of sowing and, and reaping. And I can't do anything about that. But in this case, on that day, the 27th, spend no money. Eat what you have at home. And let's make this country know that this is serious. And so here we are. I close with uh, this final statement final statement if I can get to it and I want you to just hear this as we close um, there is a I'll just simply say this I'll simply say this remember until next week it's a 630 hour and I welcome your subscriberships on this channel I, I welcome your questions your comments on the YouTube channel uh, you can also uh, send me messages on my personal page, Georgia Matthews II. Of course, some ministry pages, uh, nlim.org, um, georgematthewsministries.org. You can find out more about me personally and what we represent, as well as crcclife.org. And until next week, at this very same time, or as many times as you choose to hear this episode, we can no longer be silent. Blessings, peace, and prosperity.